Any last words from you, Emily? I mean, it's just been so much fun. This has like really given me a lot of life. It's been inspiring to talk to so many different people that um, share the same mission. And it's just been encouraging, I think, just knowing that so many people are involved in different ways. You know, I hope that it gives our audience a little bit of encouragement that they're not alone if they feel politically homeless. Welcome to What's Next, your next favorite political podcast, where your hosts, Emily Matthews and Daniel Hare, bring you great guests each week to have conversations about how to restore the conservative movement. And now, in the words of President Bartlett, what's next? Okay, so we are here today um, getting ready to do our wrap up, our part two of our season finale of What's Next. It is just your co-host today, uh, myself, Emily Matthews, and Daniel here. Um, And we're going to kind of just go over a lot of the questions that we asked our guests um, throughout the season. And so you can kind of get our take. We're going to round up sort of what we thought... um, were the most effective strategies that we heard or other people that we want to amplify and kind of what we think is um, is next for the Republican Party. So let's go ahead and get um, get started. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to hop in and uh, wrap this up. Yeah, me too. It's been a really fun season and I've loved doing this with you. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, I look forward to hopefully being able to record a second season. Yeah. Me as well. So, yeah. Well, let's get started. Um, I'll let you start. What do you feel is the most effective strategy for rebuilding a healthy conservative movement? Man, that's the million dollar question right out of the gate. We're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not easing into this, are we? No. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've thought about a few different things as it relates to this. And, um, you know, one number one is I think that, and we heard this from several guests, and, and I tend to agree with it. Like in the short term, it seems like the uh, what we're calling like the conservative movement, the either you know whether you call it the Reaganesque Reaganesque uh, conservative movement, even uh, the uh, Bush Bush you know uh, McCain Romney, which uh, would make some people mad to call that conservative probably at this point, uh, but just sort of yeah uh, uh, whatever that looks like to people that's different or, or not what Trumpism is or kind of the Trump's policies are, um, you know it, it doesn't seem like within this construct of the GOP that that's happening anytime soon. I mean I feel like everyone seemed to share a common thought that whether it's two years, four years, six years, everybody probably differ on that. But it seems like that, you know, the, the current iteration of, uh, I mean, of the Republican party and conservatism is sort of baked in for a little bit here. Um, and that it's a, at least a medium term to long term uh, approach and strategy towards, I, going back is the wrong phrase because I think that's not what's happening. Uh, I think it's it's moving forward, but in a healthier and a different direction, um, reclaiming some of what was good and right about old style conservatism, but adapting it to you know twenty twenty and beyond realities. Um, and I think that sometimes we forget about that. You know, like uh, this often occurs to me, and this is a little bit of a digression. Sorry, but uh, it, it yeah. helps me to kind of think through this. Is you know everyone talks about. Uh, things like tax cuts. That's a good example. Um, you know, when, when Reagan took office, the top end tax rate was something like 70 something percent at the high end on the marginal income tax rate. And so like cutting that, um, down to where we're at now, like in the thirties or high twenties or low thirties or wherever, um, Mm -hmm. you know, 
that maybe it made sense, like men makes makes sense in that era of um, or in the 80s and the early 90s. And so but now, like if you just always are saying tax cuts, tax cuts, tax cuts, but when you get it to a certain level, OK, now maybe it's not as obvious that that's what's needed. <laughs> like things mm-hmm. change. Like once the tax rates get to a certain point, like is it always about tax cuts? Like maybe, but not necessarily. And so like things change. And so what is still you can have conservative principles and conservative ideals. And as things change on the ground, as the facts change, as, you know, country changes, as things are invented and there's new technologies and new ways to work and all these things like conservatism is going to apply in those areas. Um, but maybe looked a little different than they would have 30, 40 years ago before those things came along. So I think sometimes it's worth thinking about, okay, uh, for a lot of people are kind of, uh, uh, you know, really relishing or thinking back on the Reagan days. And I think it's more of like, not what Reagan actually did in those days, but maybe what would he do now if he were here? Would he be running on all the exact same things? Um, And uh, so that, that's maybe a better way to think about it. And I don't think so. Like, I think it would be a a different set of policies with conservative values and conservative principles, but, but different policy outcomes potentially. So um, that's, that's one thing. And so definitely a medium to long-term, uh, deal here. And then I think the other part of it is what, so what does that mean for the short run? And that's where, as, again, as we've talked with guests, they've been all over the map on how to handle the short term as to whether or not to, you know, stay in sort of this, uh, you know, uh, enclave within the GOP that's still fighting and just holding on and waiting <laughs> and that kind of thing, even, um, sort you know, while kind of out of power within the party, um, or moving out and being independent or being the, the red dog Democrat and, and just trying to fight off every, uh, kind of piece of Trumpism, wherever it can be found, um, in yeah. whichever way. Um, and so I, I do think though, that keeping those two things in mind of the long run, um, and the short term is helpful. Uh, because you don't have to do it all at once and you're not going to get frustrated by trying to turn the ship, you know, in a cycle or two and get, you know, not be able to do it and then get frustrated and get burnt out and that kind of stuff. I think having a healthy perspective of this is a, you know, a a long-term project uh, in the big picture, but that there are some short-term things that we can do. And we'll talk more about those, but that's sort of just a starting point. Um, What about for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I've had different perspectives on this throughout the last five years, you know, but we were just talking about this before we started recording. You know, I think that when it comes to real change, a lot stuff of stuff starts on the grassroots level. And um, like you mentioned, we'll get into that kind of with the next question a little bit more. Um, but I do kind of think that's the most effective strategy, um, a bottom up strategy where uh, people, you know, your, your neighbors get together and talk about, you know, um, like find things in common and and have those discussions and find other even like-minded people that are saying, Hey, we're conservative. We don't like what the party's become. Let's, you know, get something started in our local government and kind of let it spread out from there. Or, um, you know, I, I think it certainly is going to be a combination of top down and bottom up, but more heavy on the, on the bottom up strategies. Um, I think it's important, like you said, to keep to maintain the perspective that it's not going to be all of a sudden. Um, I think it's very true that you get burnt out when you expect, you know, for these big wars to be fought like Biden won. And then suddenly everybody wakes up. I mean, clearly that didn't happen. Even after January 6th, which just truly blows my mind. 
Um, but I think, again, and the, the most effective strategy is just going to be, um, honestly, a lot of things that we talked about, um, you know, good journalism, um, new candidates rising up um, and, and showing that there are, there are reasonable people out there fighting for conservatism. Um, but, you know, overall, I think it's going to take a lot of reconciliation and a lot of finding common ground with people that we've been fighting with over the last few years. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. And, and, um, you know, talking about the top down and versus grassroots, uh, or, or both, let's talk about that a little bit, because I, I do think yeah. that, and as you said, we were talking about that before we hopped on. And that's, uh, I think uh, something that we both, uh, feel strongly about, um, you know, when you think about the last, um, you, you know, couple of decades and look back at the different movements that we've seen politically, whether that's, uh, this, uh, the MAGA last five, six years with, with that, uh, before that with, um, Occupy Wall Street on the left, even Obama's rise, President Obama's rise uh, was, was a, was a movement for sure. Yeah. Um, the tea party, uh, in his administration, um, mm-hmm. you know, all grassroots. Yeah. I mean, what they all, all those things have in common is, is grassroots. Um, now they had, there was a lead, I mean, there was a, a North star. I mean, o- Obama's thing was Obama and, and MAGA was Trump. And, um, so there was leadership from kind of the top, but it really came more from the grassroots in so many ways. All the organizing, all the get out the vote, all, all of, you know, all of that comes from the people on the ground. Yeah. I mean, you had to have this inspiration. You had to have this, um, you know, common cause that was highlighted and communicated. Um, but at the same time, I say that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who, like, I mean, Sarah Palin probably galvanized the Tea Party as much as yeah. anyone, but it was already going by the time was able to kind of harness that, but it was definitely going strong. I don't know that I would, and and maybe someone, a listener would correct me and tell me like who was the leader of the tea party nationally in like 2010 and 11, but I can't Mm -hmm. think of a person specifically right now off the top of my head. So maybe you don't have to have that, but you do have to have the ideas, um, if nothing else to rally around and to get your, uh, like you were saying before your neighbors and your community to rally around and to talk about and all that. And so, um, I, I, and, and I am interested to watch because there are, uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of top down, you know, efforts being made among like the political class and the elite political class, uh, you know, to, you know, with, I think, every good intention, um, mm-hmm. to, to do the things that we're talking about here. And, and I think those things are necessary as well. Um, but I, I just don't think that you can have one without the other and expect it to work, um, and to have the kind of impact, particularly with the gra- like you need the grassroots, I think in either case. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, we, we can talk about some of those, uh, you know, the, um, kind of the top down folks as well. Um, and the, some of the things that are happening in, in that space right now, cause there's some exciting stuff. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but I'm going to be curious to see how that gets blended together with any kind of grassroots. Is there any grassroots, uh, interest in this? I mean, that's the other thing, right? I mean, right. you know, we, we joke all the time about how we're kind of the only <laughs> people doing <laughs> talking about this and there are the handful of us that, you know, um, and yeah. so is there a, uh, a grassroots, uh, you know, common cause and, uh, intensity towards any of this or, 
um, you know, are people just, if they're not on either political extreme, um, right or left, are, are people just, you know, going about their lives and they don't have the time or the energy or the urgency to, to get involved in, uh, something political. Um, you know, I don't know. That's the question. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, definitely a lot of times the people that show up at grassroots meetings, um, a lot of people are political like us, you know, that just yeah. are, are more in tune with this stuff and care and enjoy it a little bit more, you right. know, like, I feel like it would be a lot of work now that I think about it to just get my <laughs> friends to show up at a weekly, you know, thing. Certainly people get more involved, like when there's an election happening. Right. Um, so it might even be good to like capitalize on, on that energy. Like, you mm -hmm. know, when it's closer to elections and people are like, how do I get involved? How do I make a change? Um, you know, when it's a little bit more of like crunch time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think definitely it's, it's like a war. I mean, you know, it, and there's fog of war, obviously we're going to make mistakes too. Um, we're not always the good guys, you know, it's hard to like kind of keep that perspective that we can make mistakes. <laughs> um, but I think like with the war there, you know, there's there can be massive strikes like i think that trump winning or losing was a huge strike um and a huge blow to an extent i mean obviously we know all the other stuff that's going on now but right. i think that you know sometimes it takes that big war and then little wars here and there or little battles here and there um kind of like liz cheney has said that it's going to be mm -hmm. you know a long extended process um that's going to be fought in small battles but of course, a massive strike doesn't hurt either. Um, yeah. You know, it, it changes the morale of the other party or of the people in that in that group. Um, it, you know, it makes it more possible for candidates like Michael Wood to, you know, stand up and rise up and, and be like, hey, like, Trump, I'm, I'm just so tired of people saying, well, if this wouldn't have happened, like Trump, da, da, da. it's like, you know, or, you know, I was in a clubhouse a couple weeks ago, we talked about this and they were saying, you know, oh, people are going to have to run on this because the party is so behind Trump. And I'm like, but Trump lost and he created massive electoral losses across the country. What makes you think that's a winning strategy going forward? You know, and like, mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to throw that in people's you know faces. It's just reality of, um, of, you know, at least we've got that and that, you know, convincing Republicans, um, to run, we might be more able to convince them not to go the Trumpy way. Mm -hmm. um, not just because it's, we believe it's wrong, but because it's not electorally smart either. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. 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 Um, and as you were talking, one of the things that came to mind about that is, and, and we were, I think we we're talking about it a little bit off air before we started to, but just like what that looks like to, uh, you know, if for candidates to, to run in some of these Republican primaries and do so w without the, how much can I sound and look like Trump and, you know, kiss the ring and kind of do all that versus like, but do I have to go all in and like declare myself the post or anti-Trump candidate and, uh, you know, make my whole campaign about, you know, investigating January 6th and, you know, yeah, refuting exactly. the big lie and all that stuff. Like, um, there, there has to, because I, again, back to kind of the short term, long term, like there, there has, there's going to be this transition period here where, um, like I'm a realist. Like, I, I, I mean, I mm -hmm. think like if I want to have a healthy slate of Republican candidates for office in the next th three cycles, it's not, 
realistic for me to expect the like never anti post Trump candidate, like with that's the website and that's the campaign mantra to go in and win a Republican primary in almost any contest. Like it just is not going to happen. And so I'm trying to figure out, and as people are thinking about, you know, how to support these candidates and these primaries and things like that and how to encourage them, or if people are thinking about running, like how to do it, like it does seem like trying to find that, um, you know, look, if you get straight up asked, like who won the election, I think you got to say Joe Biden won the election. Like, I think you just have to, you can't dodge it. But I think you can also not have a whole campaign built around that. Um, I think you can have a campaign that is talking about the conservative issues that you care about, um, that your local district and community cares about. And, um, you know, and try to move past it without having to like, you know, yell about it all the time. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's not going to be easy because there's going to be seven other candidates on the stage who are all pledging the allegiance to Trump and you're going to be the one that's not. And so there are going to be places where it's going to be impossible to avoid that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I, I think that, I mean, again, like these may be sacrificial lambs for two cycles, maybe, I don't know, but like, it feels like there is a way to do that. Um, that isn't antagonistic to the Trump base, um, like by design and by intention. Um, and that's where I think, I I don't know if it's exactly how you're thinking about reconciliation with that group, but that's kind of how I'm trying to think about it is because I, I, yeah, I mean, there's only two parties and the Republican party is one of them. Uh, I think, you know, those that we've had on the show and others who think it's, it's a lost party, it's a regional party. It's gone. I think that's not realistic right now. Um, either. So I want to have good candidates, um, coming out of the Republican party. And, and so I just, I'm, I'm trying to think through like, and figure out the best way to, to think through that. It's, it's, tr- it's tricky right now. Mm-hmm. No, it absolutely is. And, you know, um, just like you said, I mean, it's going to be hard to tell if the January 6th thing is going to be smart to run on or not. I just kind of feel like, again, electorally, people are so tired. I mean, even, you know, people that voted for Trump, not the MAGA base, but, you know, people that put up with this stuff for years, like, I don't know if they're going to have the energy to deal with a Trumpy candidate in 2024. Like if the Biden coalition of Republicans can hold, um, you know, honestly, I just really don't know. But I was looking this up. Um, There's a guy who just launched a explore an exploratory committee in Pennsylvania um, for potentially running for Senate. And I just was going to say, I love his tagline. Um, it's not Trumpism, not socialism, common sense. Hmm. I'm like, how perfect is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he's not just saying I'm anti-Trump, like blah, blah, blah. Like he's also saying the socialism is a pro is a problem too. And acknowledging mm-hmm. that, you know, I think, um, sometimes we can get down in that, you know, we've become so hyper-focused on Trump being the threat, which he was no doubt, um, that, you know, a lot of people who are, have been in our camp are kind of excusing some of the far left that's that's mm-hmm. risen up. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you're not going to win reasonable Republicans. Um, right. If you can't acknowledge, because that is their biggest fear right now. Um, I've talked to a lot of these people. I'm friends with them, my family included in that. And, you know, unless you're saying, you know, I'm very much still a conservative and a Republican and I will call out, you know, the BS on both sides, you're not going to win those people over. Um, So it would be nice to see more candidates. His name is Craig Snyder. 
like him rise up and um, yeah, definitely look into him audience, check him out, maybe donate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, and I, just even this past week, I mean, I'm in Texas and, and watching some of the activity happening, positioning for 2022, which is statewide here, um, gubernatorial attorney general, uh, which will be in the news quite a bit, I think, in this off year cycle, because you've got you're going to have competitive primaries on the Republican side for both of those offices yeah. um, and watching um uh, on the attorney general front, uh, with uh, George P. Bush throwing his hat yeah. in the ring, but immediately going down to Florida and doing the dance there. And then, um, and then I was excited for about two seconds when I saw <laughs> judge Eva Guzman, um, throw her hat in the ring as well for attorney general, who's been on the Texas Supreme court for a long time, who I voted for, uh, a number of times. And, um, and then uh, she didn't come right out and say it, but someone asked like if she'll be seeking, you know, uh, Trump's uh, endorsement because the other two certainly are uh, jockeying for it. And her response was essentially, you know, we're all Republicans. I'd welcome the support of any Republican, including from Mr. Trump. And so, so you know, there was an opportunity. I mean, that's not going as far as, as George P. did. And so I'm going <laughs> to reserve judgment. I've got to allow for some room here for people to kind of figure this out. But um, yeah. gosh, I would have liked uh, for her to either dodge that somehow or to just like not <laughs> come straight out and say, you know, she'd have to say she'd reject his endorsement, really. But I would yeah. just have preferred her to be able to sort of skate that one. But, you know, she's been a judge, not really a, a true politician. politician. You know, we elect judges here in Texas and that's kind of a weird I mean, I know like judges in some several states, but like not quite the same thing as running for legislative office or executive office. So um, I'll be interested to see how that race plays out. But then on the same time, you had uh, all those folks and Governor Abbott hosting uh, Trump here at the border last week and kind of a show of uh, whatever that was, um, <laughs> while, while there's a vote going on, um, in Congress, uh, to establish the select committee, um, house select committee on one six. And so, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it's hard to watch some of that. So like trying to I, like look for those folks that can, um, try to run in this, uh, you know, post Trump era, uh, on the Republican side, but without kind of having to, to do all the dance like like George P feels like he has to do and uh, Governor Abbott's doing and and, uh, and obviously Ken Paxton the current sitting Attorney General um, but uh, yeah it's um, <laughs> just it's hard to watch it and think optimistically right now so well and I'm curious if that you know that dance for Trump's endorsement is going to be the same I mean. I would say for sure in the South, but if that's going to resonate or, you know, be as important across the States. Um, Maybe not. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Cause if you have, I mean, those are three, I mean, become because between the, the attorney general race specifically, you have those three people that are well-known statewide folks that are, have high name ID. He can only endorse one of them if he's going to actually do it. I mean, he may not ultimately because the risk is too high that he picks the the wrong horse. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that would be interesting. I mean, this I think that's one thing to kind of watch in this 22 cycle is how these um, endorsed candidates from Trump do, um, particularly when there are uh, other, you know, Trumpy type candidates in the race and, and how to um, when there's multiple versions of them and, and he can only endorse one like. How, how much is actually Trump's endorsement? How much does that matter versus just kind of espousing the the policies or the views and that kind of thing? Um, I think that will be interesting to see uh, over the course of the next, you know, 18 months or whatever. 
I don't know. Well, and Eva's Eva's got her Eva, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's already she's got a reputation too to run on, which is great. She's already got recognition. You oh, know, yeah. I mean it's she's not just coming out of nowhere. So I'm sure no. like obviously that helps. Oh yeah. Um that maybe she can just stand strong enough on that. Um I hope so. Uh, really I hope interesting so. to watch. Um well, jumping on to the next question, which guest did you align with most on strategy? I know you and I picked different people and we picked a couple people. So <laughs> do you want to go first? <laughs> we did. We did. So, um, okay. I'm going to go uh, with the uh, optimistic. I think it's optimistic uh, one first, which I, I, I liked. And uh, people should go back and listen to how Reed Howard talked about this factionalization theory, um, which, which I, I think uh, made sense to me um, in mm-hmm. trying to... Uh, create within the larger GOP sort of, you know, a, a, a group of uh, different factions. Um, it's it's sort of trying to create a parliamentary system within a party structure, I think is what I took it as and like where my mind went with it, which means, you know, um, if you think about in the past, like there have been you know, the Tea Party Caucus, the Freedom Caucus, you have the libertarian type side, uh, uh, that kind of thing within the GOP um, and sort of establishment and whatever else, business Republicans. So there's already, there've always sort of been these different groupings within the party and the Democrats have it too. It's not a one party thing, but, um, but I think really looking to uh, uh, create a factionalized group of within the GOP, um, of this moving forward with a different brand of conservatism, uh, than where the current party is headed, um, I I think makes sense to me. Um, and and that that might be the, at least medium term, uh, approach, uh, for sure, you know, and, and trying to, um, create enough juice within that group, make that group large enough that it can have a, you know, like you can't elect a speaker say without them. Um, you can't elect a majority leader of the house, uh, if you don't have that group on your side. And that's what really what the Freedom Caucus was able to do for a while. Um, and uh, you kind of had to, and that's where Boehner and Paul Ryan kind of had to walk that line between them. They became powerful. And, and mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a route that could be had here is um, sure the kind of the, the, the Trumpism group is going to lead the party for a while. But if you have enough people um, in this other conservative group, maybe you can have enough to, you know, thwart a speaker situation or, you know, some legislation type stuff. So that, that's, I think, a good idea. I'd like to hear more about that. I'd love to talk with Reed more about that, kind of get more of his thoughts specifically on how that works. But um, but then on the very short term and kind of electorally and politically, um, I think Tim Miller has it more correct for me <laughs> on the pessimistic <laughs> side, which is, you know, um, I think you got, you kind of have like, I mean, like we kind of had to do this last cycle, which was, uh, I mean, every cycle will be different. Every, I think race is different. Um, but you know, yeah. essentially, um, where there is a, a full on, you know, unapologetic Trumpy Republican, I think they have to be defeated, um, right now. And that's still my view. Like I, I, so I think that's where he, Tim was at. Um, and there may be shades of gray and there may be lines, you know, whatever. Um, I was laughing, um, this I tweeted this out last night, I think, or, or not, night before that uh, in Oklahoma, my home state where I'm from, I've been in Texas for the last 20 or so years, but uh, from Oklahoma and uh, uh, Senator Langford there um, is getting a primary uh, challenge. Um, and 
And that primary challenger is being endorsed by the new state chair of the Oklahoma Republican Party, which is somewhat unusual that they would get involved at this stage in endorsing candidates. But and the sole reason is because he did not vote to object to the uh, electors uh, on January 6th. And um, that's it. Like, <laughs> and so, um, you know, seeing stuff like that, you know, um, and, and when he went into January 6th intending to object. He had already announced his intention to do so. And then after the events of the day came back, I think Kelly Loeffler was another one who was similar, um, who decided not to do that after what they saw that day. Um, And because of that, he's getting primaried. And so like if he were to lose, uh, and and I don't pay as much attention to Oklahoma politics as I used to, but like if he were to lose to us, you know, a one six denier or, you know, Trump won the election person, whatever, I mean, yeah, I think you got to get that person out. Like, you got to do what you have to do to to get those types of people out. And so, um, you know, I think in again in every race and every lo- locale, I think it'll be different. But um, you know, uh, uh, for the most part, I mean, I just think for now that kind of that either uh, the whether it's like the independent stuff or the red dog Democrat stuff, I think for now you got to. Uh, figure out a way to be okay with uh, <laughs> voting for some Democrats and voting, you know, or against uh, some of the, these Republicans until we can get through this. Um, and in the meantime, in the intermediate time, the Reed Howard strategy is, is still kind of where I feel like it, it, that's the building of the future GOP of conservatism. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. What about you? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, I mean, I don't disagree with that stuff at all. I really don't. Um, I think like, just like we were talking about it being a larger war, there are a lot of different strategies. And um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, you got to strike in a lot of different ways. Um, You know, you, you have to strike, and then you have to rebuild, you have to tear down, and then you have to, you know, offer new options. And I think, um, one for dealing with right now. I do. I agree. Reed was right on point with that. I think you do need to be able to find um, common ground. And and I think that if that could be built, it could be a really powerful coalition. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for groups like, you know, what Tim Miller has been working with, um, with RVAT and, you know, Stand Up Republic is doing some of this too. And obviously Lincoln Project um, is, is kind of fumigating these, these bad characters um that have been emboldened by trump um so i think that's really necessary um i would say in in terms of um i mean i'm just so proud of all the different people we had on because i i really do look at all the different strategies and i think that like it takes a village it takes you know all these different ways of um you know winning people over some people respond better to you know, the attack stuff, some people respond better to building common ground building, you know, some people respond to just um, very measured conservative journalism. And and that's what I was going to say. Matt Lewis is just, um, I think one of just the best voices speaking into this moment right now, especially for conservatives, because he is so measured and he will, you know, he's been (laughs) criticizing Trump this whole time. He wrote a book about it. Um, And, you know, and yet, now that Biden's in, he's not afraid to say like, this is a terrible decision. And yeah. this is, this is why. Yeah. And making that, um, you know, reasonable approach um, for people that, you know, really like to think stuff through. Um, not that the others don't, but just who, who might want a less aggressive strategy, I guess. Um, right. So I think, I think Matt, 
you know, Matt and I definitely really align there. Um, and then the other person I was going to say is, well, actually, I've got two more. Um, you know, Michael Wood, just for the simple fact that he stepped up to the plate and he offered something new, he put a stake in the ground and just said, you know, I'm going to lead. And um, even if it's, you know, more symbolic than, you know, he knew he didn't really have a chance to win. Um, but taking that stand and really putting your money where your mouth is. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and then he, um, I think just what he's been able to do with principles first is really great, but specifically now with the summit that they're planning yeah. in October, October, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the idea of, he understands the importance of the optics of the excitement of a movement of getting in the press of letting people see that there's this groundswell, um, and that there are other options also that he doesn't want it just to be never Trump people there. You know, he wants to have, um, a broader coalition, um, to kind of help reunite and bring people in that can't just say like, Oh, well, you're just with the never Trump Democrats now, you know, like the Trump people say, which we're not Democrats, but you know, um, and I think that's just a really smart strategy. So, um, yeah. Uh, and I think maybe that could motivate people to do more stuff on the grassroots level. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. You know, with Michael Wood, you know, one of the things that strikes me about him is goes along with what we were talking about earlier and how candidates can run right now um, if they're not kind of fully Trump, Trump, Trumpy, um, you know, is is what he did, I think. I mean, he, I think he was, um, you know, and, and maybe not even to hit the fullest extent he was me, you know, because I, I don't think. I don't know. I, I'd be curious to hear from kind of a, uh, a, a just a not a full on MAGA person, but, a, but a Trump voter, uh, you know, who, uh, isn't maybe fully MAGA, but just, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm a Republican voter. I vote Republican. I vote for Trump. Like, and you hear Michael Wood talk, um, you know, I, I don't think he was antagonistic, uh, to uh, that voter. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't I, like, that's not the way I heard it. Maybe people would hear it differently, but, but I heard him say, you know, I have concerns, um, and I, I want us to move in this direction here, um, which is conservative all the way policies that, you know, I think everybody that voted for president Trump stands for and believes in, um, just without all of this other stuff. And, um, it seems like, you know, I would, I guess I would hope maybe that's where I'm at. I would hope that that would be a message that could resonate with enough people. Um, you know, and it, like I said, I keep saying this probably not in the this cycle, probably not in the next one within the Republican primary electorate. Um, but, um, hopefully over time that could be the case. Um, and so, you know, he was unabashedly post Trump, I would say, but not like anti Trump. Cause he, he said, i he voted for him in, uh, 2020 this year, he voted for him. Mm-hmm. Um, after, you know, and so he explained why he didn't in 2016, why he did in 20, and then what turned him, you know, after the election uh, and the kind of the post-election stuff. And so, um, you know, even for people that don't necessarily agree with him on all of that, um, it seems like that's a, you know, a message and a, and a route that other candidates could follow. Um, I mean, that was just such a unique election. It's a special election. The congressman passed away, his wife's running in the in the um, combined primaries, not not separate party primaries, combined primaries that Democrats are in it and Republicans. It's just sort of a, you know, and it's a last minute campaign, really. I mean, it's just thrown yeah. together in a matter of a couple of months. So it's not like someone who had a, you know, 
six month, 12 month, 18 month or more of these presidential deals, but like to stake out a strategy and raise money and gather support. I mean, it so, um, you know, the fact that he didn't make it to the runoff or whatever, I don't think should be indicative necessarily of the message, not necessarily resonating. I think there's still a lot to test out on what he did. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for him as well that he put that template together. And yeah, I, I mean, Michael, I mean, Matt Lewis is, um, is great. And, and I agree, uh, the ability to, um, take on both sides, call them like he sees them. And, um, you know, that's not going to be enough for the, some on the right and it's going to make him a uh, persona non grata for those on the left. Um, but He's that's where we are. That's where <laughs> yeah. we are. That's who we are. Or honestly, like that's who we have to really? be right now. Yeah. So I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, no, I think, and you're absolutely right about Michael Wood that, um, you know, he didn't antagonize those voters. And I think that's really important not to belittle people, but to reach them where they are and say, like, I understand why you voted the way you did, Um, you know, but let me offer a different way. I think it's just really, really cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the root causes for how we got here? (laughs) We've rehashed this so many times, but what do you think? Well, and, and to, again, try to highlight some of the guests too, that we talked to it. I mean, I think it was, it was good to hear the Joe Walsh tea party stuff because I think that was something we um, hadn't spent a lot of time with. And it was great to have his perspective. Cause I do think when you talk through uh, and hear him talk through, you know, the rise of the tea party as a response to the establishment of the Republican party, not responding to its base of voters on uh, multiple issues, you know, that that was certainly a point. I mean, you know, we can trace uh, a lot of this back further than that, but I think that was a, that was a a healthy and helpful, you know, way to, to hear about it. Um, You know, I think there's no other way to say that, that, I mean, the cultural shifts that we're going through in society, definitely create the opportunity for, um, people to feel scared and to feel uncertain, um, whether that's on issues of race, on issues of gender and sex and, um, all of these things that have, uh, evolved and changed and the, as the country has evolved. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, media and other political figures have, um, taken advantage of that fear and that opportunity to stoke that fear and to drive people further apart from one another. Um, and that's basically what, uh, that's basically what cable news and, and a far right and left, uh, web news is, I mean, news is not the right word, um, anymore. (laughs) And, uh, but it it really is stoking those fears, creating, uh, an us versus them, uh, and, and a game theory scenario where it's like win or lose, uh, either on any issue, on any substance, on anything, there is no, um, you know, coming together uh, because there has to be a winner and a loser, um, on, on every issue, on every topic. And all of these issues and topics are country defining moments, every single one of them. Like they, the country either rises or falls based on every single issue <laughs> that's being brought up. It's like that, that's the level of intensity, the level of fear. Um, and, so I definitely think that that has created a lot of where we are now. Um, and then, you know, lastly, and we were joking about this earlier, but, um, you know, it's just that also that in terms of participation, that um, more moderate political people tend not to participate 
to the same level as the people that are more activated and motivated and um, usually politically partisan. Um, and so when you just have a two party system and in a lot of these districts, especially at the congressional level where they're gerrymandered um, to where they're not that competitive uh, in most uh, districts, then the primaries are essentially the election. And so therefore who votes in primaries, but partisan political people, most moderates and center centrist people, kind of the middle third of America politically don't participate. And because of that, and they also don't give money and they don't listen. They don't pay attention and, and, or some do, but just kind of just consume it and move on with their normal lives, like normal people. <laughs> so, I'm not, I'm not dissing them at all. Like I'm, you know, um, but, but it's just fact. Yeah. I mean, they just don't. So like it, it just creates this, this confluence of events where the fear is stoked, the people are separated. And then those active, you know, partisan uh, ends of the spectrum vote in primaries that are stacked in their party favor. And that's that. And I think it leads to where we are. So, I mean, there's more explanations, there's more things going on, but, um, I don't know. That's kind of, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what I, I, I see. I don't know. How, how about yeah. you? Yeah. No, I think you, honestly, I think you nailed it. Um, I mean, I would say the the media, I would say social media certainly plays a role. I mean, but then fear, like you started with, is at the core of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of that at the rise of Obama, you know, and, then, and the Tea Party whiplashing and being like, we're losing our country and, right. you know, all this um, fear, really. I mean, so much of that is at the root of it. It's what Trump capitalized on. It's what... Um, you know, a lot of the far left candidates tried to capitalize on, um, fear is such a powerful emotion in politics and it mm-hmm. can be used so much to manipulate people. Um, and then of course it's amplified on social media, on regular, you know, on TV, on cable news. And it's just, um, you know, I think that's at the core of it for sure. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I really can't think of anything other than, you know, I mean, people taking advantage of it, of course, like leaders like Trump, then riding in on it um, would be another, I don't know if it's root cause, but certainly someone taking that fear and then channeling it, um, you know, and and a lack of of good leadership even to fill that hole. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I think that makes a huge difference. Um, Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Ask your question. Do you think it's possible to write the ship before 2024? That's the next question. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Um, I don't either. But, uh, oh, and and before I get down that uh, road yeah. too far, one of the things that is different now, I feel like even versus, you know, eight years ago or 16 years ago or whatever, I, I think even if you didn't vote for or support uh, President Reagan, President Bush, Clinton, Obama, whatever. Um, I don't ever recall, and may, maybe I, again, listeners could correct me. I, I don't recall that um, for majority of the opposite party. So if you if you were a Democrat and you didn't vote for Reagan, or you were Republican and you didn't vote for Clinton, um, I don't recall uh, people like us or like that feeling like the president wasn't our president. Right. Um, you know, like, and, and it goes both ways, like that's not my president. So it goes from the constituent, but also goes from the president down. Like you didn't hear from the oval office, like that you weren't one of their constituents because you didn't vote for them. Like I think up and until president Trump, I feel like, you know, whoever you voted for all the way up through, uh, president Bush, president Obama think that, you know, 
the Oval Office and whoever was there was articulating a message of I'm your president, you know, uh, even if you didn't vote for me, you may not agree with all my policies. That's not what we're saying. But like, and, um, and also that, and maybe until President Obama was where you first started seeing the from the constituents, that's not my president kind of thing. Um, not because he didn't win it legitimately, that happened more recently, but because he's just not, you know, one of us or whatever. I don't know, whatever people did to justify that thought in their head. Um, but like, it just seems more recent that that's sort of this like, okay. And then, and then President Trump really did sort of have this thing where it looked like and sounded like if you weren't on team MAGA, you weren't, he wasn't your president. Like he kind of acted that way, you know, like even, even though I don't know for people like, like for me, like I remember, I distinctly remember on election night of 2016, like tweeting out something like I didn't vote for you. I didn't support you, but I wish you the best and you're our president now. And, you know, and I think a lot of us had that kind of mindset that we wanted to hope that he did well, um, that we were all in the lifeboat together. And like, this is, you know, important that he does well. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it it feels like we're at this stage where now, um, you know, whoever is the president, if you didn't vote for him, like somehow that's not your president or, you know, that they're, they're not, you know, considering the, your benefit when they make decisions or whatever else. And, um, and I don't think president Biden's like that. Um, but it does feel like in among the constituencies that that's happening, like that. And so I, I'm concerned about that. That's a, that's a different whole different level of partisanship. And I think, you know, danger to the country that we didn't used to have as we were still flipping back and forth between Republican and democratic presidents all these years, Mm-hmm. Um, that's a more recent phenomenon that's pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, I never felt as much as I very much opposed so many of Obama's policies. I never was concerned that he didn't have the country's best interests in mind. Like I, right. he, I was like, he could be very wrong about this. It could go very poorly and it could not be in our interests, but I never doubted his heart behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, or had, I had respect for him and, and being a family man and, you know, I would love to grab a beer with him. He's personable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, and that used to be more normal back then too, where you could, you know, be like, Oh, well I disagree with policies, but I have so much respect for you. Um, I mean, Bush George W even said that in one of his speeches that, you know, he was like, I realize Republicans, um, elected me, but I'm here to govern all everybody. And I want to make sure that, you know, it was in some speech, um, that he did that was really powerful. Um, so yeah, no, it definitely changed the whole culture. I mean, it's, it's hard to accept that that's not the norm anymore. Like that's something that makes me sad. Um, you know, it does feel good that Trump isn't in there anymore. Um, and I hope that we can have some renewal, but I think there are wounds that are going to take a long time for people to get over. Um, and, and just, just that that could happen in our country was, um, really unsettling. (laughs) Well, I, I wonder too, like had the election, um, either been a larger victory for Biden or, and, or had, um, like president Trump conceded on election night or, or within a week or two after, after the, some of the recounts, uh, you know, that kind of went along with normal course election recount stuff. Like if he had conceded and and done the normal concession stuff, like, I, I wonder, like, would we be in the same boat with that mindset? Like, or, or is it, is a lot of it about the actual kind of legitimacy of the election, um, as opposed to just having a, a Democrat in the white house for this group of kind of fully MAGA Republicans. I don't know, but, 
um, I, I, I'd be, it's impossible to know that, I guess, but, um, but I, I am concerned about your, so the question about 2024, it, yeah, it doesn't seem like, you know, we're going to be able to <laughs> transition before then, um, people that are, you know, really setting up, it looks like runs for president on the Republican side right now. Um, I was just reading a, a piece, um, in, uh, Sarah Isker's the sweep in the dispatch about, I think they're doing a couple of parts pieces here on the 24 candidates. And this one was specifically talking about, uh, uh, Cruz and, uh, Tom Cotton and Rick Scott. And, um, I'll leave, I'm leaving someone out uh, for this group that they did, but, um, you know, really talking about how they're positioning themselves and what they're doing right now to both, you know, with staff and with fundraising and, uh, you know, helping the 22 candidates and building those relationships and, um, and all of that. Um, but you know, it, but it still all looks pretty similar to what we saw Trump do in 2020, which is really highlighting, you know, the, the border and immigration and, um, that area, um, you know, still kind of doing the, um, uh, well, like kind of the, <laughs> culture war stuff uh, around vaccines and COVID stuff and just, you know, things like that. And, uh, as well as the election integrity things as, as well. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem like we're going to get there by 24. Like it's hard to see someone running successfully in that primary. And again, presuming that, uh, <laughs> President Trump is in it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Although, you know, it's funny. I, I, I think I said this to Joe Walsh when we had him on, but in some ways, uh, well, that, that would give us a cleaner picture of where we are. If, if, because what would happen is okay. if, if, if Trump's in, then, um, a lot of these other people probably sit it out. Like, um, you know, I mean, a lot of the people are probably think, yeah. are sitting it out and, you know, there's probably a spot for like, whether it's, you know, a Liz Cheney or, uh, uh, Adam Kinzinger or somebody to kind of run in that other lane like that. Um, or, or maybe someone even a little bit less anti-Trump and more just sort of new wave conservative. I don't know who that would be with two years to figure that out. Maybe there's a better test, but then it would be interesting to see what that would look like Trump versus, I, I don't even know who it would be um, Cheney or something. And then it would be like a direct divide of, are we going so, back to establishment or are we going to well, keep Trump? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so that's why I mean, like, it seems like if it's Trump versus Cheney, it seems like it's probably like Trump wins that primary going away. Yeah. Um, but if there's somebody um, that we maybe don't really know that much about right now, that's like, gotcha. hasn't had to take some of those votes, um, yeah. but that isn't, I don't know. I'd be interested to kind of see a Trump versus somebody um, that uh, in the Republican primary. I don't know. But because if Trump's not in it, you know, then it's a free for all. And you're going to have this wide swath of people from, yeah, like DeSantis and Cruz and Cotton and Rick Scott, maybe and Christy Noem and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and um, how, how they're all going to and Chris Christie looks like. And so how they all try to position themselves, you know, and then what's successful. Um I, I mean, who knows by then, but, um, it just doesn't seem like at this point, any of them have been willing to separate from Trumpism, MAGA base Trump at all. So, uh, that's why I do think that 22, like that endorsement 
stuff we were talking about earlier? Do the Trump candidates in 22 do well? Or are there some others that can make some? Yeah, it'll be a good indicator of what's coming. Yeah, but I I don't know. Um, So yeah, I I fully expect that um, we're going to wind up with Trump or someone like him as the Republican nominee in 24. Um, you know, would and, you say DeSantis is like him? Like, is that how you would like, what would be someone like him that you can think of? Uh, like that would well, be already well known or someone new? Yeah. I mean, so if Trump doesn't run and DeSantis runs, obviously he's a formidable person. Mm-hmm. And I think there's time still for someone like that to refocus a message that's going in a little different direction from, you know, the Trump stuff, especially since he wasn't on record, um, like in Congress or in the Senate having to take votes or object to electors and all that nonsense. And, um, now who knows what he would have done, but he wasn't there. He didn't have to do it. (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, and so, and, and I think that he has, he has this mix of, uh, fight in him and he antagonizes liberal media in just the right way. It seems like that's popular with mm-hmm. the base. And I, I don't, I could see him running a fairly like not traditional campaign, maybe, but a, a, a fairly more stable, just straight conservative, like certainly more populist nationalist than you would have had eight years ago, but not fully like MAGA. Um, and being successful. And, and I don't know, I don't know how I'll feel about that, <laughs> but I don't, I mean, anything is going to be more stable than the Trump campaign. So it's like no, a pretty no, low I bar, know. but, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally, but I guess what I mean saying. is like, I, if he, if it's him versus, uh, Biden, let's say, and yeah. you know, I, I don't know where I'll be at that point. I think I'm, I, I'm it's too far away and, and, um, I, I don't know, but you know, watching, oh my gosh, I was, we were, ta- who was it? We were talking about, uh, Nikki Haley with, um, Heath, right. We were, we were, yeah. we were lamenting her. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so, watch- so disappointing. Oh my gosh. And, and watching her, uh, I don't know if you saw her little video tweet that went out about the yeah. Olympic stuff. And I just was yeah. cringing, cringing, cringing at that. And, um, but she was someone that four years ago, I could have easily seen myself supporting and voting for. And really, she kind of made it out of the administration, not that uh, scathed, um, remarkably, yeah. after two years at the UN. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, that's another it one. It just, it seems like all of people's internal polling is telling them that, that they have to win the Trump yeah. people over. Yeah. And I think that's why they're doing stupid stuff like this. Um, and it's disappointing for so many reasons. Um, I was almost, almost willing to be able to reconcile with her. <laughs> and then when <laughs> she's come out, you know, I mean, she like condemned the one six and, and Stan, you know, was saying yeah. Trump should have done more. And then recently, you know, she said the opposite or not specifically about one six, but, you know, praising Trump. And mm-hmm. um, I just don't know why it's so hard to just put a stake in the ground and lead. Um, I mean, I guess it's hard, but, you know, it, I just would like to see that in politics again. Um, not that anyone was ever perfect, but um, it would just be nice to see a little bit more of a backbone for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you're right. I think if Trump runs, it's going to be a pretty empty primary. I think if not, you're going to get, I think all the candidates you said, plus 
you know, Mike Pompeo, I think he certainly is going to run. And I'm just curious if you think, um, I mean, again, I guess this just really depends on how it comes down to polling and, you know, they're going to do whatever the polling says for them to do. But if they'll, you know, be running on the January 6th and stop the steal, or if that'll be a liability to them, um, you know, I don't think it'll be a liability. I think that, um, Mm -mm. yeah, I just don't think it will be. Sadly. Uh, and some of it will come down probably to are they able to get is the current Congress able to get any of these uh, voting rights bills across the finish line that they're still mm-hmm. discussing right now? And, you know, will that maybe put a pin in things for a while um, if they are able to do that? Um, you know, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's still dozens, if not hundreds of voting or election type bills being considered or being, you know, passed around the country at different state levels. And so all in response to, you know, the one six stuff or the election integrity stuff. So I I don't know, but like I said, there's still in 22, everyone seems to feel confident that uh, the Republicans are going to retake the house just by the nature of who's up and who's retiring and kind of off year Mm -hmm elections and, be, and you know. because that usually that usually happens you know there right. thankfully america america tends to balance itself out that way which is really good right and so you know you think um and it's right now a 50 50 senate and so um with uh, at least what one of those georgia seats that were special election seats up and mm-hmm. and those will be tough probably for the democrat to hang on to kind of similar to what we saw in alabama a couple years ago with doug jones yeah. and so you know if 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 that if, if Congress either goes back split or goes back to Republicans completely, I mean, what does that do to the dynamic? Because now, yeah, you have a Biden administration, but you have a Republican Congress. And so there's not going to be, you know, a ton of stuff that you know, like Biden can just shove down the throats of the Republicans uh, or whatever. And so that's two years just of like kind of stalemate. My ideal situation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you have this balance and, and you know, they can't get too many extremes passed. And ultimately that keeps government out of my business, <laughs> which yeah, is like well, the conservative in me. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, and, and ordinarily, like my his, historically and ordinarily, I would completely agree with that. And um, yeah. I think the one hesitancy I have about it, though, right now is, you know, if, so if you have a fully. Republican and also a more MAGA Congress when the 2024 election happens, you know, when it comes time to count the electors, you know, uh, are we going to have another crisis? Because now we Mm -hmm. have uh, more people in power who are maybe more likely to object. Um, I mean, it's just like amazing to think about like what, what would have happened had Mike Pence said, okay, let's go do the 10 day, audit thing. I mean, can you imagine like he didn't, but he could have, it's, I mean, he was under incredible pressure threats to his life. Um, and he, he decides to just, no, not go along with it. But I mean, you can pretty easily imagine a situation where, um, you know, uh, something like, uh, that happens again in 24 and, um, people are objecting left and right to electors at the state level, you know, you've got stuff. And so I just, that's the part where yeah, on legislation, I, I'm with you. Like, uh, like I think, yeah, yeah. generally I, speaking I in a normal world, healthy to have yeah. the balance and the crossing out. And when stuff happens, it's bipartisan. 
Um, but uh, I guess I'm operating in, in the mindset of like back when it was normal Republicans. And <laughs> right. I guess, you know, you're very right that it is going to be an emboldened group of more Trumpy candidates. Duh. Um, but, of course, we will yeah. have we will have Vice President Harris will be presiding over the Senate in that yeah. um, election count deal. So um, yeah. that that's that's there. But um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. It's the the twenty, but by twenty four and kind of what that looks like. I just I'm done. I, I I will say the other piece, the other part of that um, Sarah Isker dispatch piece that I would mention too, real quick, is just that some of it probably depends on what happens on the Democratic side, whether Biden chooses to run again or can run again or um you know is there an open democratic primary who's the democratic nominee if it's not biden um mm-hmm. yeah i mean Kamala's that matters. not electable I, I just genuinely don't think she she could win a general um and i think they know that yeah i think she would have a hard time winning an open primary even as the vice president um right i think there would be stronger candidates probably uh that they would put up and so but whoever it winds up being you know, may impact who decides to get in on the Republican side, because if it's yeah. a super popular Biden, I mean, super popular, relatively speaking in this era, I mean, like 55% <laughs> is like super popular um, you yeah. know, Biden, then that's a different thing than like, a, uh, you know, who knows a Pete Buttigieg or somebody who like probably most of the conservatives uh, could feel like they could beat, um, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's uh We'll see. Yeah. No, very cool. Be interesting to watch. Um, Okay. Well, this is the question that we asked uh, each of our guests. um, And now we're going to give kind of um, our thoughts on it. What are some sources, influencers, um, outlets, anything that you would recommend to our audience that are worth amplifying? Daniel, you can go first. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, probably people, if they've listened to all of our episodes, have picked up on a theme that... (laughs) We definitely <laughs> reference and push people to the dispatch and to the bulwark. And I think that's, there's right reasons for that. And that's certainly fair. Um, and I would encourage people to do that. Uh, there's, and, and I would say generally, I think we talked about this on the uh, conversation with Rachel and Sarah, but um, is to the extent you can uh, maybe just pick one, but, but pay for some journalism. I think yeah. that's important. Like, you know, um, instead of just relying on the clickbait, this financial model, like, I think it's good. Um, maybe let's get a subscription to one of those two or contribute to Matt's Patreon or, you know, whatever. But like, I I think it's good to get into more of a habit of paying for your journalism. That way you have more invested in it. it, There's less of the, you know, algorithm pop up and like marketing ad stuff. I don't know. It's just, I think that's better, um, to the extent you can. But so, so I think those are good, certainly sources, both in print and in podcasts and, um, and all that people that we didn't talk about, um, that I've been for a long time, uh, following one of these for a long time, um, is Michael Smirkanish, um, mm-hmm. who I appreciate kind of tro- being in that middle ground, um, politically kind of, I think, um, when I think, of, and, and I, I've listened to him on the radio for years and years, well, before he was at uh, doing a, a Saturday show on CNN. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, I've, I've been spent, I feel like enough hours listening to him over the years, um, that I feel pretty comfortable in saying that he's legitimately a center, uh, type person. Um, he worked in the, uh, Bush administration as a young person. And, um, uh, I would say kind of occupies that political center and wants to get moderates and centrists more involved in politics 
in general. I think that's important to him. And so I think that's uh, a healthy thing. And so, you know, whether you listen to Sirius XM where he's on every day or, you know, I think I still, I can't remember. I don't watch CNN really, but has the weekly CNN show on, on TV, but, um, and then at Smirconish on Twitter, um, that's one that I would send people to. And then uh, the last one I'll mention for now, um, is, uh, just someone I've more recently started following, um, but is, uh, Jennifer Horn, um, who is, uh, writes now for the USA today, but she's the former chair of the GOP in New Hampshire. And yeah. you can find her at NH Jennifer on Twitter. Um, and, uh, I think is kind of right in line with, uh, a lot of what we have gone over here and talked about here. And, um, I think someone who's looking at ways to organize moving forward and, um, but coming from that position of being a chair of a GOP, um, and, uh, now, um, kind of on the outs uh, with the current state of the party. So, um, what about for yeah. you? Great suggestions. Um, obviously I echo everything you're saying about the bulwark and dispatch. Um, definitely, definitely. Those are, you know, um, my favorites and along with the dispatch, just following, uh, separately Jonah Goldberg and, um, oh, yeah. French on Twitter and, um, you know, those guys that just, um, put out so much thoughtful, uh, writing, um, surrounding issues. You can learn so much. It's not just, um, emotional. It's, it's, um, intelligent. It's, it, you know, sitting down and really evaluating things, um, I think is really important. Um, and then of course, Matt Lewis's, uh, column in the daily beast. Um, and then, you know, his Patreon as, as well. And, uh, I was going to say with Michael Smirconish, that's a good suggestion. My dad actually, who's um, very conservative, voted for Trump both times, likes Michael Smirconish. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how we say it? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that there, there certainly are people like that. Um, you know, following people, like I would say all of our guests, I mean, they, they all have Absolutely. different things go- going on for them. Um, and of course we endorse like so much of the work that they're doing, um, yeah, I think that was just, I wanted to make sure to add, because Jonah Goldberg really has become one of my absolute favorites. Um, just very refreshing and <laughs> keeps my head straight and just his takes on stuff are so good. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's what I would say as well. Um, good, good idea with Jennifer Horn too. She's really great. Um, well, of course, you know, how would you, along with that, how would you advise uh, those who want to be involved in creating the next generation of conservative politics? Um, you know, of course, but in a different direction from the one President Trump has forged, um, you know, how would you advise them to get involved? Yeah. And that's something we have talked about a lot here. And and I think I'm back to uh, sort of the, I think we did it in the last wrap up, uh, last week's wrap up show. We're talking about the difference between uh, Bill Crystal and Matt Lewis and kind of their roles in in this movement, um, you know, and I think that's a good way to think about things is for people to, uh, not, you know, like not everybody's going to want to run for office and not everybody's going to want to write a column every day or every week or do a podcast or whatever. But I, so I think a lot of this is, uh, figuring out what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and then figure out how and where that could be plugged into, I would say at the local level, 
you know, your, uh, your political sphere, um, if you're wanting to get involved. So, um, you know, I think, so it could look so many, like so many different things. Uh, and so I, but I do think the, I do think the emphasis on the grassroots that we've made here, I think today, especially is important. And so, you know, cause it's so much, you think about how many votes it takes to make an impact in an election at the national level, at the state level, the further you locally you get, the more impact you can have as a single person or as a small group of people. So if you can, you know, I mean, I live in Waco, Texas and McLennan County, the county is like 240,000 people. Um, you know, so, and, and, and Waco is about half that. So about 115. So, you know, we have a city council, we have a mayor, we, it's nonpartisan, um, our county elections, uh, you know, for judges and, and all these things. I mean, there's races happening all the time. There's school board races for different school boards here. Um, there's a lot of places where if people wanted to get involved and make sure that, you, you know, the types of candidates that they are interested in or running or, you know, who to support, like, um, you know, I think it starts with paying attention to your local races and kind of knowing who those people are. And, you know, uh, like I was saying before, most of us probably live in areas that aren't swingy, um, that are probably, um, one party dominated. And that's unfortunate, um, for a lot of reasons, but, um, you know, so, but figuring out, you know, where there's a place to make an impact, um, and, and what other groups are already activated. I think sometimes, you know, for people to get really fired up and say, I want to start this or start that. I think sometimes there's a, a, a desire to do that, which can be good and right. But also there's usually uh, groups that are already going that maybe just uh, could use a boost from someone like you and, uh, you know, hop in and not necessarily start a whole new thing, but maybe uh, give a boost to a group that's already going, um, you know, and, uh, you know, there's, there's subgroups that are, I think, in most communities around politics. Maybe that's just registering people to vote. Uh, or, uh, you know, we have a, a, a uh, I'm trying to think of the acronym here, but it's, uh, McLennan County league of women voters and they uh, get activated around election time every year and they're nonpartisan, but they, uh, want to bring out, um, candidates to talk to them, uh, to, to their group. And, you know, you, there's places where you can get involved, um, at so many, in so many ways. And I think at the local level is a great place to start, uh, because I do think that, Ultimately, the long term here is going to be a grassroots effort, which I think comes about just as a snowball, you know, starts with a few people uh, getting involved in a small race and then goes to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And, and, and all of a sudden it goes countywide and statewide, not, you know, whatever. So I, I think that would be my suggestion. Yeah, no, all of that is really great. Um, I think you hit on a really good point that, um, you know, finding kind of your start, like how each each of the um, people that we had on have different strengths and, and different areas um, that they can reach, different people that they can reach. Um, so I think it's really important to figure out what fires you up, what you're good at, and just put action to it. Um, you know, I, so, and just another idea that, that popped in my head as well is, um, you know, being able to, like, if you're good at writing, submit something to your local paper. Um, they're always looking for people to contribute. Um, I think that's really powerful like Daniel said, just like finding other grassroots groups in your local uh, area to get plugged into. I, Sarah Rumpf mentioned this. It was her, Rachel Lairmore was on their episode just talking about how important local government is because those mm -hmm. are the things that affect your daily life. Um, and that's the beauty of federalism, right? Is that, you know, we do have this 
the power is somewhat, as much as it might seem louder in Washington, they have limited power over, you know, our local governments, which is mm -hmm. a really good thing. Um, so getting involved there and, and then that, that tees up people that can get more experience in government that can then continue to rise in the ranks and, and run for um, higher office. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's really important to be, you know, um, figure out what you're good at and, uh, and get involved. I was going to add one other thing that's, that's, that was on my mind too, is that, uh, to whatever extent you can, I think trying to, uh, create ways to, um, be in person with people as we come out yeah. of the pandemic is going to be important. I think part of what has happened in the last four to five years has been, you know, a lot of the social media activity and, uh, which is a ripe place to, you know, go down rabbit trails that lead to, you know, bad things and <laughs> destructive things and, 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 and all of that. And I just think that, um, you know, I, I mean, utilize social media, obviously to an extent, um, to, you know, if you start a, a, a Facebook group for, uh, you know, conservative in your County, whatever, that's great. But I think you, most of us have probably experienced what that can look like uh, over time and the way those comments go and the way those posts go and things like that. So I, I would say trying to figure out ways to get people together in person to the, to where there's differences, people are much more likely to, uh, be kind and generous and gracious and in person environment, as opposed to, they might feel more emboldened to be crass or be, you know, combative or antagonistic when it's just a online and keyboard deal and all that. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously we're still, uh, coming out of the pandemic and, and there may still be some limitations on, on all that, but, but I mean, bigger picture, I was just thinking about that, that I, I think, um, you know, getting people together in person, I think it's just going to be healthy just in general, not politically, just in general, as we come out of the pandemic. Um, but I think especially for this, I think the more to, to your point earlier about Heath and bringing people into the summit uh, and people of all types of uh, from conservative values of all types uh, in terms of who they voted for and that kind of thing. I just think that's going to be a healthy thing. And I think that we could uh, utilize that as a model for how we try to get people together uh, at the local level too, as opposed to just kind of doing a bunch of stuff online, which has its place, yeah. but I think um, will be more effective in person. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so great. It's kind of going along with what Corey said um, in, in that episode, which is just loving your neighbors again, you know, yeah, <laughs> just you might be different politically, but break bread together and, and love each other. It's really that simple. And I think there's so much healing that can come from that and, and healing just the tribalism that's um, really come up over the last few years um, is just knowing your neighbors and, and loving on them, um, I think is so key yeah. to this as well. So. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it. That's our wrap up episode. So thanks everybody so much for being part of what now it's with these two episodes, uh, 12, uh, episodes. And we're so grateful to everyone for being part of it. And we will look forward to hopefully catching you again when we start back up our season two, we'll get more information out about that when it's available. But, uh, any last words from you, Emily? I mean, it's just been so much fun. This is like really given me a lot of life. It's been inspiring to talk to so many different people that um, share the same mission. And, um, you know, just watching 
it's just been encouraging, I think, just knowing that so many people are involved in different ways. Um, and that, you know, I hope that it gives our audience a little bit of encouragement that they're not alone if they feel politically homeless, that there are people out there like them. And, um, you know, we're going to just keep trying to amplify voices um, so that people feel a little bit less alone in this moment. I think that's great. And speaking of that, where can people find and connect and follow you? Let's do that. Oh. Um, well, I don't use Facebook or Instagram for anything other than personal stuff, which actually Facebook, I don't even use it all anymore. Um, (laughs) but Twitter it's at EG, uh, Matthews. So, um, yep, that's my handle on Twitter and you can follow us at, uh, at what's underscore next underscore pod. Awesome. And I'm at Daniel Hare on Twitter. That's H-A-R-E. And uh, also I'm on LinkedIn a bunch uh, for my actual job. (laughs) And so um, you can connect with me there. would love to hear from listeners. And uh, again, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on What's Next. What's next?